Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. I want to talk about prayer again. It's my hope that by God's grace we become uh, more and more of a praying church, and so I, I want to um, I want to talk about that tonight. I got um, I've been reading a couple. I'm simultaneously reading two biographies of of Thomas John Jackson, better known as Stonewall Jackson, and he was a man of prayer. Uh, he was a he was a weird guy. Um, in my mind, the jury's still out on his um, on many things related to Stonewall Jackson. But what you don't probably know about him is before the Lord gave him opportunity in in uh, the army and in battle, he was sort of just a quiet little professor, and all the students disliked him and and thought he was. And they called him Tom Fool. They just called him. Uh, they they had very little respect for him because he was so buttoned up, and he was his lessons were exactly the same every week, every year. He would memorize his lessons and then recite them verbatim to his students each night or each day at uh, Virginia Military Institute. Anyway, what we do know about him. When, when, he, when he was given command in the army, it's like a light switch was flipped. And he was, he, was a, he was a man who could lead men at that point. But what we, we also, I think most of us already know about him, is he prayed. He was a Presbyterian. He prayed, he trusted in the sovereignty of God, right? He's as safe on the battlefield as in his bed. Um, we all know that quote of him. But he actually tried to keep the command, the biblical command, which comes to all of us, to pray without ceasing. And uh, he, he wrote in a letter the following. He said, I can give you my idea of it by illustration if you will allow it and will not think that I am setting myself up as a model for others as I make him a model for others. I have so fixed the habit in my own mind that I never raise a glass of water to my lips without lifting my heart to God in thanks and prayer for the water of life. So every time he got a glass of water, that to him was a reminder that he should thank God for the water of life. Then, when we take our meals, there is grace. Whenever I drop a letter in the post office, I send a petition along with it for God's blessing upon its mission and the person to whom it is sent. So every letter, and letter writing back then was, was like texting. They wrote volumes and volumes of letters, right? And so every time he puts that, that letter in the mailbox, he, he prays for the person that he's writing to. When I break the seal, I love this, when I break the seal of a letter just received, I stop to ask God to prepare me for its contents and make it a messenger of good. When I go to my classroom and await the arrangement of the cadets in their places, that is my time to intercede with God for them. And so in every act of the day, I have made the practice habitual. 
Um, when the friend asked if he sometimes forgot to do this, he responded, I can hardly say that I do. The habit has become almost as fixed as to breathe. Right, so, you know, don't you forget? Don't you forget to do this? Don't you forget to use everything as this impetus to pray? And he's like, no, it's like, it's like breathing to me now. Now, one, so that just as an example of somebody who lived a life of prayer, um, that's, what, uh, that's, that's how I want to be. I want to pray like that. I want to pray all the time. I want to pray without ceasing. And that means having God in your awareness all the time, right? That's, that's really what it comes from. It, just be, it comes from a vital relationship with, the God, with God Almighty, right? But it's, it is scandalous to me. It's scandalous, I'm sure, to you how often the Lord's not in your thoughts, and so, um, so we need to, we need to coax ourselves to pray, right? And so he coaxed himself with every glass of water, you know? Maybe it's every time you walk out of your house, you should pray about your dest- where, you're, where you're going and the people to whom you're going to meet. Every time you cross the threshold in your house. Things like that, to, to, uh, things we do every day that we can use to push us. Now, um, Clement of Alexandria, this is a quote that I came across in Matthew Henry's uh, method of prayer. Clement of Alexandria called prayer conversing with God. Very simple definition, conversing with God. And that connects it to, you know, that relationship, that closeness that we have to have with God to have a vital uh, prayer life. Um, Matthew Henry also says scripture shows prayer to be our drawing near to God lifting up our souls to him and pouring out our hearts before him so it's very much about your relationship with God it's very much about a warm heart toward God it's very much about having him in mind in your affections uh, constantly and conversing with him as if a friend is seated next to you. Now, here's what I really want to push us toward, and then we're going to actually practice this tonight. We're going to spend a a few minutes in prayer. But I want to encourage you to pray Scripture. Pray Scripture. Uh, Open to a psalm, open to an epistle, open... um, Open anywhere in the word of God and pattern your prayer from what you read there. Uh, And we'll do that. We'll try that later, right? I'm going to have everybody open up their Bibles and I'm going to, and you can open up wherever you want and you can form a prayer from what you see there. Um, Why do we do this? Well, we have the example of Jesus doing it. When did Jesus do this? Do you remember when Jesus did this? The book of Hebrews. Yeah, that's, I, I was going to let you go for a little bit, but. Um, yes, for sure. Absolutely. Um, very good point. We, um, 
the time when Jesus does it is when he's dying on the cross. Right? He's praying to his Father. The most fervent prayers, the most heartfelt prayers that have ever been prayed in the history of the world. Right? Those prayers from the cross. And what does he do? He quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's praying that scripture before his Father. That scripture that was written long, long before and was a prophecy of all of his sufferings upon the cross. And so we have that example. I like to think of praying scripture um, as being analogous to the, the, the reason that rainbows exist. Why do rainbows exist? To do what? That's right. We, we Praying scriptures reminds God, in a sense, of his promises, which is exactly why the rainbow is there, right? When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it, God will look upon it, to remember the everlasting covenant between himself and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth, Genesis 9-6. So every time there's a rainbow, remember it's supernatural, and God is reminding himself of the everlasting covenant that he's made with man. So there's, there are these reminders, and so every time we bring scripture to God, which he inspired and he wrote, we're reminding him of, of his word, of his promises, of the things that he has promised to do on our behalf and who he is. We, we remind him of these things. And so um, here's another thing. To pray scripture is a better way to pray for lawful things and to pray for things according to God's will. It is when we, when we just open up and start vomiting our prayers, they're sort of unguided. They're sort of we're half into it and half thinking about what's for lunch. Um, we can pray impiously and we can pray for things that are completely opposite to the will of God. Unintentionally. Sometimes we intentionally pray for things that are opposite to the will of God. Westminster Shorter Catechism 98 answers the question, what is prayer? And it says, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. I love that they say that. It still is a function of our desires and our hearts for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. For things agreeable to his will. Well, scripture says this, 1 John 5, 14 to 15, this is the confidence which we have before God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. What a glorious promise about the power of prayer, right? If we ask things according to his will, he hears us, and we know that we have what we've asked for because we've asked according to his will. Now, I was thinking of the way that my children pray. And my children all pray in a certain way. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Thank you, God. 
my children often pray, and I, I'm pushing them to, to grow beyond this, right? Um, they often pray that God would make them obedient. And that's not necessarily a wrong prayer. But it's the sort of, Lord, help me to do well on this test. Right? I pray that we would not be angry with one another. I pray we would um, enjoy this meal. I pray we would do well on our exams. It's all prayers like that. And pretty much what it's saying is, God, give me these things, and these are the desires of my heart. And there's no reference to scripture. There's no thinking beyond to what might be a spiritual view of these things. Rather than praying, praying that, uh, give me success, give me success, give me success, maybe it's, Lord, train me for righteousness through the difficulty of this task. Right? Trying to think beyond to the growth of our faith and our souls rather than just the laundry list of things that we want now. We all fall into this. I'm picking on my children because they're pastor's kids and so I'm allowed to. But I do the same thing. I mean, it's probably 95% of the content of my prayers. God Make me obedient, which is, a, a, in, a, in a sense, is a foolish prayer. God has told you to be obedient. God has told you to do certain things. And he expects you to do it. And he's not just going to um, teleport you into obedience. He's given you everything you need for obedience. He's put his Holy Spirit within you. Right? And so we need to be careful about those kinds of prayers, right? Why not, you know, instead of praying, I pray that you would, you would help us or that, that we would not be angry with one another. That's often a prayer in our household. I pray that we would not be angry with one another. Why not pray, I, I, I pray... Um, you would fill our hearts with love. And that we would keep in mind your word, which means, which warns us not to bite and devour one another. Right? May we obey that word and fear and love you. Right? May we, and that's praying God's word. God's word says, be careful that you don't bite and devour one another. So pray that before him. Um... Adore God in your prayers. I will constantly um, be, be pounding on this because I'm pounding my own heart on it. Adore God in your prayer. Lift up praises to him. Before you do anything else, you're, you're coming into the presence of God, and you should be overwhelmed by his presence. You should be thinking of his glory. You should be thinking that you're stepping into the throne room of an omnipotent king. Not just a king. Not just somebody with political power, but the one who spoke the worlds into existence. You're praying to him. And so the first thing out of your mouth should be, whoa. Wow. God, you're glorious. And then the second thing should be the confession of sins. There should be humility before this awesome God. There should be 
We, we need to remember to confess our sins regularly before the Lord, not just once on Sundays when we're led in it. Thankfully, we have that. But all through the week, we should be confessing our sins before the Lord. Um, and, then, and then we present our requests, right? Then we get to the point where we petition the Lord. And Spurgeon said to pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches out of an inexhaustible storehouse. And then finally, you close with giving thanks. You know, you, you, you rehearse the, the kindness of God to you, and you give him thanks. And that's a good pattern for our prayer. Um, f- also, be reverent in your prayer. Be reverent in your prayer. It's possible to be irreverent. My irreverence in my prayer comes by distraction. Omnipotent God is listening to me, and I am distracted but if I were in the presence of any lesser power, I'd be so nervous about staying focused that I'd be hyper-focused. I'd be focused to the point where I was um, anxious. But with God, I walk in and out of his throne room. You know, I start messing with the things on the shelf as I'm praying to him, and he's seated on his throne. I'm so distracted, and that's irreverent. It's wrong. It's sinful. Right? And we should, we should seek to, to grow beyond this, that we can have a focus on the Lord. Spurgeon again says, you are before the Lord, let your words be few, but let your heart be fervent. Let your words be few. Now there's a lesson for us in prayer. Let your words be few. Don't, don't do what the Pharisees did, which was what? Endless repetition. Endless repetition in your prayers. That is not... Um, when, you, when you speak to somebody that you're trying to move in a certain direction, let's say it's your boss, if you go in and repeat yourself a hundred times, you're going to exasperate your boss. They are not going to want to hear it. You come in with a well-phrased... This is what we need, here's why. It's yours to make a decision on, right? With God Almighty, even more is it pronounced that we should enter in and say, and, I mean, he knows what we need before we even ask it. And so vain repetition in public prayers, uh, in private prayers, is something that we should, we should root out. It is irreverent to go in and just um, babble before the Lord. And then remember this, remember this, um, it's an omnipotent God to which you pray. Omnipotent. He has all power. There is nothing that is impossible for God, right? Nothing. It's an omnipotent God, and so you should pray with what? Faith. Faith. Pray with faith. There's nothing that God cannot do. And so if we go in wavering, right, if we, we um, go in doubting, James chapter 1, right, we can expect nothing from the Lord. But if we go with faith, then we can expect much from the Lord. Right, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. 
That's who we're praying to. The one who can do beyond what we can even imagine, he can do. And men, remember your hands when you pray. (laughs) Come back to that one. Remember your hands when you pray. A couple other examples of that I skipped over that I want to go back to. Um, when you pray, don't just demand that God make you obedient sort of prayers. Perhaps instead of praying for healing, which we often pray for, I pray that God would sanctify you through the discipline of suffering. Right? We're, we're quick to say, God, relieve this, but it may be that God is afflicting you so that he might sanctify you. And what would you rather be, healthy or sanctified? problem is, is we'd almost rather be healthy than we would be holy. Right? Pray that your illnesses prepare you for heaven. Pray that they are useful to God. Um, perhaps instead of praying for provision again and again, you should pray for contentment. You know, rather than provision, pray that God gives you contentment. Turn to Philippians and pray through that passage. Perhaps instead of praying for success in this world, you should think about those scriptures that lay out what pleases God and focus your prayers there. Right? Maybe it's not success in this world according to the world's categories, but it's success according to God's categories, which is, which is godliness, which is faith, which is being a good neighbor which is having a heart filled with the love of Christ. Uh, and, this, and, and so I think this is why we need to pray the word. It jostles us loose from self-centeredness and superficiality. That's what it'll do. It will jostle you loose from all of those ruts you have in your brain for the things that you immediately always pray for, like a robot. And so you'll go to... You'll go to a psalm and you'll, be pr- and you'll be reading it and turning it into prayers and you'll be praying things that you've never prayed for in your entire life, right? You'll be, you'll be reminded that God's people have enemies and that we should, we should be praying for protection against God's enemies. I mean, you'll be reminded of so many things. And so, um, oh yeah, I was going to uh, share with you uh, one last thing on uh, this is a book called The Worship of the American Puritans by Horton Davies. If you care about worship, you should read Horton Davies' two books. There's one, The Worship of the American Puritans, and one on the English Puritans. And there's a chapter on prayer, and he says, uh, he says this about pastoral prayers. You probably have heard me say this before. Some ministered prayed for as long as they preached. This is not only the report of a critic, such as Jasper Dankertz, the Dutch Labadist who visited Boston in 1680, who tells of one Puritan minister who made a prayer an hour long and preached the same length of time, but is admitted by the delighted ministers themselves. Thatcher wrote once that he stood about three hours praying and preaching, 
And on a later occasion, God was pleased graciously to assist me much beyond my expectation. Blessed be his holy name for it. I was near an hour and a half in my first prayer, my first prayer, and my heart much drawn out in it in an hour in the sermon. So here's a man who preached, who prayed longer than he, he preached. In Charles Hambrick Stowe's opinion, and he is the authority on New England piety, the norm on a common Sabbath seems to have been a major prayer for 60 to 90 minutes. <laughs> and you all are starting to get frightened. I, I am not capable of praying that long publicly. I mean, it is, it, 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 those are muscles I do not have. It's a shame. Right, but those are muscles I don't have. 90 minutes in constant extemporaneous prayer without repetition. <laughs> um, it seems inconceivable, but when you think about who God is, the fullness of his glory, and our miserable needs, 90 minutes is a drop in the bucket. 90 minutes is nothing to come before the Lord in prayer. 90 minutes is nothing, and we should be capable of this. We should be able to get to this point. It is not my goal to pre pray for 90 minutes in the, in the services. Um, it is not, but um, beyond five minutes would be good and might be helpful. Uh, prayer, I, I think the other thing to mention is that they were fed not just from preaching. They were fed by prayers. Right? I mean, it would be a temptation in prayers to make the prayers a sermon, and I bet some of these Puritans made their prayers sermons, which is not good. There's a difference between preaching and prayer. Right? And, we, and we weaponize prayer as well. Right? We'll, we'll, start, we'll start rebuking people in our prayers that are around us when we pray for certain things. Um, and all of that to say that Prayer is prayer. It's a different thing. It is an offering up of our desires to God. And, um, <clears throat> but what a joy it would be to, to hear a pastor enter into the throne room of God and drag everybody along with him. Right? What a joy it would be for a father to drag his children along with him into the throne room of God. And to pray fervently like that. So that's my, that's my exhortation tonight.